It is on. All right, I'm going to pass around a piece of paper. And this is just so you've got the scripture in front of you and so you can scribble along the way or scribble at the end. It'll make more sense. Then when the paper comes, you'll understand why you've got a texture in your hand. As we settle in, I can tell you that we are in the middle of our GROW acronym. It's been a little while since we've begun the little GROW acronym, G-R-O-W. I don't know if anybody remembers what the G or the R is. It took me a second this morning to remember. You can shout it out with confidence. Receivers are... And before the R, the G is give. That's right. The grow of discipleship. We did the give, we did the receive. And today we're doing the O and grow, which is obey. So that sounds fun, doesn't it? That's really fun. So obey is like uh, a little bit in the Lord's Prayer where we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm going to be talking a lot about the will today, which is actually a really odd word and not a word that we use a lot these days. I was trying to think of a definition for will, and I couldn't think of one. But the online dictionary says that um, your will is revealed by the choices you make, which I thought was quite helpful. And um, another one said, it's acting to achieve a desire. So you can't really separate human will from human desire. We make a last will and testament, which is so that what belongs to us can be handed over according to our desire. And certainly to be human is to desire. And Emily Dickinson said a long time ago, it was Emily first, not Woody Allen, that the heart wants what it wants. And our human hearts do want, and that's part of being human. We have these deep human wants and desires for security and for fulfilment and for meaning and for acknowledgement of who we are and our worth. And we have a desire to win and to be comfortable. And um, our hearts get scared that we might not get what we want. And that's the human condition. 
And our culture tells us that we have one life and one go at self-fulfillment and that successfully being fulfilled, however you choose to define that, is the chief end of man. And so the world will tell you that there's two steps you have to take. The first step is that you have to actually clarify and work out um, what you really want. So that's defining yourself and discovering who you really are and what's inside you and what's important to you. That's kind of distilling your desire. And then number two, what you have to then do is take control by designing and, and programming your life, pulling the levers in such a way that you actually can get what you want. So there's an array of books on the self-improvement shelf that will tell you how to set up the architecture within yourself and around yourself to actually enable you to secure self-fulfillment. And that bit is like aligning your will with your desire. And once they're aligned, you're good to go. You're happy. You'll found it. And we're really steeped in this culture. Whether you're Christian or not, we're absolutely saturated with it. It's, it's in everything in our culture. It's under everything. Um, it's on everything. It's quite frantic and quite constant. And this human tendency to try and control and manage everything that's going on inside you and everything around you um, really will take up every last ounce of your energy if it goes unchecked. It will take your physical energy, your headspace, your relational energy, your emotional energy, everything. Which I think is actually a little bit depressing. And you might be thinking, okay, but we're talking about obedience, so what is the point? Well, again, the online dictionary tells me that obedience is the act or practice of obeying or submitting to the will of an authority. But the word that's often used for obedience in the Bible carries these two ideas put together, which is to hear plus to act. So if our will is making choices according to the desires of our heart, then obedience is making choices according to the desires of God's heart. Now, maybe you're in a place where you feel like obedience to God is just another thing that you have to figure out and wrestle out on top of all of the other things that you're juggling and managing. Or maybe you feel like obedience around an issue is something that you get to when your relationship with God is strong enough or when you've really learned to hear his voice or when you've actually got your life um, under control enough to actually listen. I'm here to give you some good news because obedience is not something you need to add into an already overstuffed lifestyle or something that has to wait until you're able to hear God's voice and you won't get your life under control enough ever to then be able to turn your attention to God's will for your life. Because actually handing over control by handing over your will with all its human desires and plans kind of attached to it is actually really the central and core action of our faith. It's actually at the heart of our faith. It's at the heart of our initial decision when we first decide that we're going to follow Jesus and then it's in all the other decisions. The decision after decision after decision that we make 
that then determines our lives and our lifestyle from then on. And we're really all designed to be in relationship with God and for that relationship to grow. So there's, there's grace for everyone who follows Jesus to be able to hear his voice and to be able to act, to hear and to act. Obedience is really at the heart of our sonship. So you actually can't follow Jesus and keep pursuing your program or your lifestyle that is about securing your own desires. And you can't follow Jesus and keep presuming that you know what God thinks or wants. Eventually, all your desires and opinions and programs have to bow down before God because he's holy and his heart is just full of truth and redemptive love and goodness and his will is totally good and perfect, unlike ours. So in 1 John 2, it says this. We know we've joined him in an intimate relationship because we live out his commands. If someone claims, I'm in a relationship with him, but this talker doesn't live out his commands, then this individual is a liar and a stranger to the truth. But if someone responds to and obeys his word, then God's love has truly taken root and filled him. This is how we know we're in a relationship with him. Anyone who says, I live in intimacy with him, should walk the path Jesus walked. Or in a second translation, it says, it's only when we obey God's laws that we can be quite sure that we really know him. The man who claims to know God but does not obey his laws is not only a liar but lives in self-delusion. In practice, the more a man learns to obey God's laws, the more truly and fully does he express his love for him. Obedience is the test of whether we really live in God or not. The life of a man who professes to be living in God must bear the stamp of Christ. So this stamp of Christ, this walk of Jesus. I think it's summed up in Philippians 2 pretty well. Let Christ himself be your example as to what your attitude should be. For he who had always been God by nature did not cling to his prerogatives as God's equal, but stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born as mortal man. And having become man, he humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience, even to the extent of dying. And the death he died was the death of a common criminal. Or let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery as an equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my followers, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you'll destroy it. But if you give up your life for me, 
you will find it. Spending a life trying to find our own fulfilment and manage all of the stuff around us is very exhausting. And it's very unstable, to put it mildly. It's the building the house on the sand. It won't work and it doesn't last. So I want to read a few words from Hannah Coulter. It's currently one of my favourite fictional characters. She's this lady who spent her life on a small farm in a small community in the, in the American Midwest. And uh, she's reached her 70s. And she's been around the Jesus block a few times. And she says this. Those thoughts come to me in the night. Those thoughts and thoughts of becoming sick or helpless. Of the nursing home. Of lingering death. I gnaw again the old bones of the fear of what is to come. Finally, as a gift, as a mercy, I remember to pray, thy will be done. And then again, I'm free and I can go to sleep. And I was really struck by this picture of the old bones that we go out and dig up and gnaw on in the night, chew over again. And that idea of then being able to go and bury them when you say thy will be done and actually being able to enter into that rest. So stepping into a life of obedience means living a life that's not dictated by your own self or by the desires of other people. But it's really making those choices that are in step with God's heart and lining them up with his word and his ways and his purposes. And, and the promise is that we'll find all the security and the purpose and the rest that we were so hungry for in the first place. To jump back to Philippians for a minute, it describes Jesus as taking the form of a, a bondservant or even a, um, a slave, which is the word doulos. And the word doulos is all throughout the New Testament. Sometimes it means servant, sometimes it means slave. Without getting stuck in the semantics, I think the point is that it really just means a life that is at the disposal of the master. And there's a really deep humility in that. So God really does have a good will for your life. You have this unique part and this path with all these different seasons and chapters over the journey of your life that's all part of his bigger and beautiful redemptive plan. And he has ways for us, his creation, that stand for all of us, his protocols and designs around the way that we live, that are kingdom ways, like forgiving one another and preferring one another and tithing and giving financially and, and kind of showing up for our relationship with God, our spiritual practices. That's for all of us. But God also has opinions about your life. God has thoughts about how you invest your money and... Um, how you spend your time, what you say, what you don't say, where you invest relationally, where you go, all of it. And it becomes a bit surprising, I think, sometimes when God makes his opinions known, especially if you just assume and presume like I do sometimes or a lot. So I'm just going to give you a few examples. Um, some years ago, Dave needed a new car and um, the car that he had set his heart on uh, was not the car that I thought was the wisest option because it cost more money 
outright and it cost more to run. It wasn't very fuel efficient. And I didn't think it was necessary and I expressed my opinion to him in terms of his uh, preference. And I argued that until God said to me, actually, I want my boy to get his car. And I... um, I was a, a bit taken aback because I thought that um, God obviously thought that I was right and that this was, you know, not really the wise choice. But actually when he said that, um, I had a choice to make. I could keep arguing my position or I could go, okay, you're a really good father. I really like that you want him to get that car. So actually, that's fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back you. So... I did, and that's not the first, and it certainly hasn't been the last time that God has expressed an opinion that has affected us financially. He he does it regularly, and often what he says does not align with these financial goals that Dave and I mapped out when we first got a mortgage. We had a plan. We have a massive spreadsheet. I can't even tell you. Um, And honestly, I don't think God has paid any attention to that plan. It got thrown out. I mean, it still stands, but it doesn't look like what it used to. It, it just, I don't think he paid attention to it. Um, but that's okay because he knows what we need and he's got a plan and we just have to trust him with that. Speaking of plans, I was very grateful this year because I had been hatching a plan last year. I'm a planner, if you didn't pick that up. Um, where I had, I had a little vision because Dave goes to France a couple of times a year. I have not been overseas since I can't even remember. And I thought, wouldn't it be lovely if in the European summer we all went to France with Dave and we had a really nice couple of weeks in the south of France. I'll take the children. Dave will join us. It's just going to be amazing. And I started scrolling through a couple of Airbnbs and having a little bit of a think. And I wonder what the flights are. (laughs) And um, I just felt this, like, metaphorical hand on my shoulder. And uh, no, just not right now. And I got no explanation, just uh, not now. So I put my phone down and I thought, okay, well, that's that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. And I didn't. And then this year rolled around and um, we're in a different situation and uh, which we hadn't foreseen. And um, we've done some domestic travel with these said children. One one in particular that I'm fairly grateful uh, (laughs) We didn't take overseas. So I'm really grateful that I didn't pursue my own will. We just left it and went, okay, that's fine. This is where we're going to stay for now. Um, To give you one more story, a bigger one. Back in 2015, I was getting ready to go back to work after having Gabe. And I was making my preparations. And and again, I felt like the Lord said um, that I needed to stop. And... That was the beginning of a really long conversation over a long period of time about God saying that um, he wanted me to leave that work and to actually make some really deep space for God and what he wanted. And he made it clear that this wasn't just a career change to ministry. So it wasn't just go off to Bible college and um, fill those needs that I had for meaning and for financial security and a a sense of contribution with something that was a bit more spiritual looking, which certainly would have been my temptation. He actually had a different path at that point and and that was costly and I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't. Obedience is costly because at the end of the day, 
discipleship as laying down our rights to get our own way. But what we pick up in exchange is a life that's joined to Jesus' life and, and we get freedom. We have freedom to serve the interests of the God that we love and, and who loves us and gave his life for us. And that's really how we glorify God in our lives. It's our act of worship. So I read this all out to Dave this morning. I was like, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's right. Yeah. And then he said, look, he just, it's summed up by the dog with his master. Right? The dog doesn't just go off to obedience school by himself. Right? We don't just go off and learn obedience. We have to do it with the master. It's something that we do together, much as I would love to send the dog off to obedience school on his own. It's all bound up in the relationship that we have together. Um, it's something we do. It takes practice. Obedience keeps the dog safe. Obedience keeps the dog close to its owner. Obedience keeps the dog going in the same direction as the master. I don't know if you have had an experience of walking a puppy, but they're just constantly lunging to get to every attractive scent that they can sniff, pulling on the lead all the time. But eventually, um, I, I'm told and I believe that there comes a day where the dog just is so in tune with the master and so well behaved that they just walk along beside them and attend beautifully, follow the same direction, and it's just a lovely experience. We're not there yet, but... Um, The world says the chief end of man is self-fulfillment. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think walking with the master and enjoying that journey together is what we're made for. And if you're disobedient, well, look. We had a meeting in our house. The dog chewed up Andy's sunglasses. Andy's sunglasses were not from Kmart. There's some cost to the master with our disobedience. But it doesn't change the security of the relationship. It doesn't change how much we love the dog. It doesn't change how much God loves us. It's like, look, if you, though you are human, love your fur baby and know how to train it, how much more does God love us and know how to train us? going to just create a little bit of space and time now to reflect and digest and have a moment. So I'm going to pray and then we'll have a few questions and period of silence. And then after that, um, we'll kind of turn our attention back to one another. And if you have something that you felt like God shared that was really significant for you or that is just for other people as well as you, then there'll be opportunity for that. So Why don't we just get comfortable and still and take a couple of breaths. God, you are our God and we are your people. We just ask you now for your light to shine on our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and to lead this time that we have together. We ask you to lead us into deeper and fuller truth and to speak to us again about who you are and who we are. 
God, we thank you that there's no shame in you, that you don't turn your face away from us, that you invite us to look into your face and you draw us into yourself. So I'm going to read that verse from Matthew 16 and and we'll just have a chance to let the words begin to sink in and just notice if there's a particular word or phrase that really speaks to you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you want to be my followers... You must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you will destroy it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. (laughs) 